Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining me once again. This is Don't Crack Up, a commuter's podcast. I am your host, Patrick, Patrick Markey. Hello again, everyone. Thank you so much. And uh, to my handful of listeners, I thank you sincerely the most. You're my favorite people, and I want you to know that. Uh, I'm going to apologize in the beginning. You're not going to hear from John this episode, but next episode, you're going to hear from again. That's the goal. We're going to work it out, okay? It is the summertime, everyone. I hope you're hanging in there. The heat is on. Uh, it's it's hot where I live. It's humid. And breaking news, uh, commuter uh, discomfort, everyone. My air conditioning is not working. So imagine me on the highway, in the sun, uh, sweating. That's me. But guess what? It, with everything going on in the world, a very minor inconvenience. Annoying, certainly. But we're going to get through it, okay? Going to get through it. All of us together. Don't crack up. That's what it's all about. It's that time of year. You know, I've said it over and over. Construction season. You, you wake up and you get on the highway on a Monday and you wonder, uh, what's happened? Has something changed? Have they expanded the construction area? Have they finished? Who knows? Has something happened that will affect my life while I was sleeping, while I was away? Isn't that the way life works? We're always wondering that. Well, there you go. That commuter lifestyle, a microcosm of everything that's happening, life, the universe, all that. So I hope you're well. I hope you're hanging in there. I hope that you're enjoying your vacuuming or treadmill walking or driving or whatever you're doing listening to this. I hope that you are well. We're back again I'm listening to things. I'm watching things. I'm still talking endlessly about Party Down, and we're going to keep doing it, okay, week by week. So exciting uh, show this week. Some more things I've been listening to, some more things I've been watching. And the fourth installment of the Party Down discussion, this time focusing on a deep dive, Casey Klein, played by Lizzie Kaplan. That's right. Uh, America's greatest living actor. We've talked about week after week, so it, we'll... we'll, we'll We'll get there, we'll do a deep dive on the enigmatic, charismatic, electric, mercurial Casey Klein. All right, let's get to it. Put in some music. Okay, here we go. So, getting right to it. Something I've been listening to. Well, you may have noted each week I've talked about uh, some audio books. We've talked uh, about multiple Kafka uh, books. Uh, we've talked about Melville, Herman Melville. So switched it up this week and went lighter. Um, this uh, Much lighter, in fact. So I'm going to talk to you about what I've been listening to. Alien Invasion by Tim Lieben. Okay, I think that's the pronunciation. Uh, now you might wonder, how do you listen to all this stuff? Well, I go on the Audible. There's an app, and uh, I increase the speed. I do a 1.2. That's my preferred speed. If you're wondering, now you know. Okay, maybe you like it slower, faster, what have you. 1.2, that's my preferred audiobook speed. Uh, I want to give a special uh, shout-out to this narrator. This uh, book is narrated by John Chancer, and I think this is an excellent narration. You know, the... The audiobook thing, the commuting, listening to them, it really does come down to narration, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, content is critical. If it's a 
story you don't care about, it's a story you don't care about. But even a story you marginally care about, in my opinion, can be carried a long way if it's a quality narration. Um, what are some examples? Well, this is. And what do I mean by that? This is somebody who they move the story along. They do some changes in voices for different characters, but it's nothing silly. Um, I've had some ones that I've listened to that I thought were actually decent stories, but the narrator made some interesting choices with the, the character voices, and it kind of, I'd say, took me out of it a little bit. So, John Chancer, congratulations on a great narration. So, what are we talking about? Again, Alien Invasion by Tim Lieben. Now, this is, of course, uh, a lighter story, but then not. There's massive death and all that kind of stuff happening in it, but... Uh, it's farther away, isn't it? It's not as, uh, you know, close to home with something like uh, Bartleby the Scrivener and those kind of themes. Um, but I have to say, uh, just a confession to you all, you know, fandom and all those kind of things. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Alien series. You know, it started in 1979, Alien, directed by Ridley Scott. And man, how many subsequent movies and uh, works have there been since then? Uh, what, Aliens, Alien 3... Alien Resurrection, Alien vs. Predator, Alien vs. Predator Requiem, which is the sequel, um, the prequels, uh, Prometheus, and uh, Alien Covenant. And guess what? I think Disney owns this franchise now. We know Disney owns everything, including this. So, Disney, what's the deal here? We're Pump out the IP. If you're going to pump out all this other IP, let's do this. Uh, I, this is something that, to me, is just always a quality story to go to. It's entertaining. Um, and it's, and it's, it's interesting in the themes it touches on, right? So what are the alien, the xenomorphs, this creature that, uh, is nearly indestructible. Uh, they've got the special thick skin. They got acid blood. You try and kill them and the blood splashes on you and it hurts you. It tears through things. Um, it's like a super, uh, insect infestation almost. And how are they made? You know, there's the eggs, the face huggers, they burst through your stomach, all that kind of stuff. But all these stories have these same common elements, right? So there's the, the xenomorphs, the aliens themselves, this kind of fear of the unknown, this killer without feelings or regret. Um, but then you have the human characters. There's always like some good human characters. And then uh, there's an android somewhere in there. But then there's also the corporation, the greed, the never-ending greed of the corporation, uh, and the insanity, right? And see, uh, repeating the same mistakes and expecting different results every single time, every single story. The corporation wants to weaponize the xenomorphs, right? They keep going back to the, they keep going back to the bar, man. This time it's going to be different, and it's not, right? This time they're going to do something to control them. This time it'll work out, and it never does. The xenomorphs break free, kill, blow up, all kinds of things happen. So. Uh, I, I find it entertaining. I, uh, and so this is just another example. Now, this story, you know, it dials up to 175, folks. In this story, we've got aliens. Uh, we've got uh, predators from the Predator series. We've got uh, humans. We've got these evil humans. We've got everything going on. It's a battle royale. Who's working together? You know, um, one of the things that this whole series touches on, and this is something that, so when I started listening to audiobooks in the commute, several years ago, there's just an entire uh, series of stories, and I think they're all entertaining enough. And so I, I think all of them are quality to listen to if you're driving around um, and you want to kind of take your head away from the worries of the day. Instead, worry about the xenomorph coming, coming after you. 
um, it's, it's the flip side of the glorification of space exploration, right? We look up to the stars and we wonder what's going on. All these stories are absolute cautionary tales. Be careful. You know, people are always fairly lonely, um, in constant, constant danger. Um, that fear of the unknown is hyped up to a thousand. Uh, this indestructible foe, a nearly indestructible foe. You know, it, it, it's the cosmic horror, right? You, we think we're something, we get to space, hooray for us. But guess what? There's all these dangers out there that we can't even comprehend. But then we apply our our primitive, greedy mind to it. We're going to bottle it up somehow. Nope. Wrong. Time and time again. And so it's this kind of insignificance in scale to these larger universal forces. So this is a really kind of a pulpy, zany, all-out story, you know, war story, but it's got interesting enough human characters. It moves right along. It's fast. So I recommend it. This is actually the second book in this war series. Aliens, predators, humans, evil humans, robots, all kinds of things are happening. So uh, a quality read, I do. Uh, well, it's not a read, right? I'm listening. Uh, but if you wanted to read it, I'm, I'm sure you'd enjoy it as well. So Quality Listen, Alien Invasion by Tim Lieben. And uh, got that on Audible. So there you go. That's something I'm listening to. Well, guess what? What I've been doing so far, you know, it's an audiobook I've been listening to. What's a song I've been listening to? Well, in keeping with the theme of the sunshine, the heat, and I think maybe spurred on by the, the sweat of the non-air-conditioned car, I've been listening to, uh, on repeat, uh, that hypnotic element that I tell you about each week, Amulet of the Weeping Maze by Jeremiah Sand. Now, you might be familiar with this song if you had seen the movie Mandy, 2018, starring Nicolas Cage, which I think we could all agree is the LSD revenge movie of 2018. If you remember that, um, the titular Mandy uh, is uh, some you know loved by Nicolas Cage's character. I think it's his wife. But uh, there's a cult led by Jeremiah Sand. That's right. So the song that I'm, I'm talking about is the song that you hear in the movie. And if you've seen the movie, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a, uh, you know, it's pretty early on where Jeremiah Sand is playing this song to Mandy. So I want to give that kind of um, asterisk, I guess you would say, is that if you haven't seen Mandy, maybe you don't have the same attachment to the song. Maybe it doesn't have the same meaning to you. Um, maybe not the same frame of reference. Well, I'm, you could correct that. You could fix that. And you could see Mandy, which I recommend. <laughs> if you enjoy, again, horror, LSD, revenge, nightmare movies, uh, and, uh, and a good Nicolas Cage. So way to go on that, Nicolas Cage. Uh, chainsaws, all kinds of things are happening in that movie, Colts. And uh, this song is, it seems like a, a warm weather song. It's got a, it's, it's a trippy song, but it's, uh, it's faux deep because that is the character. The character is like a failed um, psychedelic folk singer. And that's, that's what this song is. Maybe there's a flute, you know, but it's kind of got that uh, late sixties, early seventies, um, psychedelic aspect to it um and you know there's again having the frame of reference of seeing the movie there's this juxtaposition of the trippiness of it but then the terrible you know this villainous cult i enjoy this song uh 
a good summer song. You got your sunglasses on. The sun is beating through the windshield. Uh, the car is on cruise control, maybe. There's a lot of construction, so not so much of that. But a uh, little sweat, a little uh, enjoying the day, and got it blasting. Loud as can be. No, not that loud. But uh, Amulet of the Weeping Maze by Jeremiah Santo. That's a song I had playing. And uh, what's it about? It's it the, Lyrically, it's, it's just, <laughs> I don't know what it's about. It's just silly kind of things about relationships and nature and uh, intentionally um, not as meaningful as it is intended to be. So good song. Actually, great song. I really like it. I, I Again, I just enjoy sitting back and listening to this music. And it is one of those songs that is very atmospheric. So it, 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 it lends itself to being put on repeat. It starts. It's a world you sit in and you want to keep it going. So play it again and again. There you go. That was the song I was listening to recently, this week, on repeat. Amulet of the Weeping Maze by Jeremiah Sand. I got it on Amazon. There it is. I know I keep telling you that, and there are all these other issues that go with it, but I'm sorry. It's the convenience, isn't it? I push a button, and there it is. So Amazon, bye, bye, bye. Uh, I'm sure it's on iTunes as well, but uh, here's the thing. It's by Jeremiah Sand, and I, in preparation for this, I tried to look up you know, who's the actual artist performing. I, everywhere it is, it's Jeremiah Sand, so that's who we're going to give it credit to. Uh, okay. All righty, then. Next. So, we're going to change subjects now. What was, what was something that I was watching this week? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix it up and give you a couple quick hitters, okay? Um, uh, Amazon, 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 right? They were pushing this Chris Pratt movie, The Tomorrow War, and all their incessant advertising won, won us over. I watched it. Um, here's my quick review of it. It, if you go into this movie expecting to see Chris Pratt travel to the future to fight aliens, uh, you're not going to be disappointed because that is the movie. It is a competent Chris Pratt fighting aliens in the future movie. So there you go. Uh, Marvel has put a new movie in theaters. And because Marvel controls us, I answered their summons and I went to the movie theater. Uh, and watched Black Widow, starring Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh, the great Florence Pugh, uh, star of Midsommar, probably the best movie of the last five years. And I think I'll have to talk about that, because what is, uh, two years ago it came out, um, and I have the director's cut. Oh yeah, that's that's not a humble brag, that's just a straight up brag, uh, <laughs> on Blu-ray. Uh, and uh, the vinyl soundtrack of it, all kinds of stuff. So maybe next time. I think it's what I'm going to do next time. I'm going to talk to you about uh, the director's cut of Mid-Samar. So Black Widow. Um, here's the thing about Black Widow. The story parts of it are, are, are really good. I enjoyed that. There's a family story going on. Um, again, uh, David Harbour is in there. Uh, and... The family unit story, and when the when when the actors are talking to each other and and the story is being told, I thought that was very enjoyable. On the other hand, there is a lot of punching and kicking. Um, 
excessive i thought at parts where it just that was not as interesting to me so when the story is being told uh it was a good story and i enjoyed that part of it the punching and kicking not as much um so do i recommend it yeah if you want to see um a marvel movie this is it this is a marvel movie uh and uh and i don't think you have to have a ton of context right i don't think you have to see 18 movies to see this i think you can figure out what's going on by itself so there it is those are some quick reviews of things i saw a little bit of a deeper dive but before i do i got to do my weekly installment here you know what time it is to the five people that have listened to the previous episodes number one thank you i salute you you are my favorite people um but uh as you recall uh, the Lizzie Kaplan Shared Universe, it's a running thing, I've, a bit I've had going each week. I've got another entry for it, folks. The 2008 film, My Best Friend's Girl, uh, starring uh, Dane Cook and Kate Hudson. Yes, that's right, Lizzie Kaplan has a uh, role in it as Kate Hudson's roommate. Now, what do we know about the Lizzie Kaplan Shared Universe? Well, there's this ongoing theory, which I talked about at length in episode one, that all of the things that she's in somehow are related to the movie Save the Date, either a similar plot point or there's an actor uh, similarity or there's a connection from Save the Date to another work to another work. Listen, that, that's a, this is a tease. Listen to the prior episodes and, and you'll understand what I'm saying. So what do we have here? Well, just to quickly say it, uh, in My Best Friend's Girl, there's a whole plot about two men seeking the the heart or trying to win the affections of the female lead care lead actor um in that movie it's kate hudson well guess what folks that exact same you know, plot element is happening in save the date two gentlemen trying to win the heart of the lead female actor of course in save the date that would be lizzie kaplan so there you go there's another entry i am running out of uh things to use i think there's a couple more movie called orange county which i haven't seen jack black's in it a uh, movie called crossing over or something with um harrison ford supposedly she has roles in those or she does have roles in those so there we go so i got a couple more entries to to go and running out of steam but not yet we're going to keep the dream alive week by week so moving on gaudy 1996 starring armand Asante as john gaudy Uh, Not to be confused with the more recent movie, which had John Travolta as John Gotti. I have not seen that. It didn't get great reviews, but I'm not going to comment on it because I haven't seen it. Um, But I am talking about Gotti from 1996. Those of you who had HBO around that time might remember it was an HBO movie. So I saw it years ago um, and had not seen it in a long time. But you know what provoked me to see it? That's right, the YouTube. The YouTube and its uh, infamous algorithm. A, a, a scene popped up, a video popped up that sparked my interest and made me remember this movie. So I wanted to see it. Well, guess what? It's one of those movies that it's not on any streaming service. And so the dedication of wanting to see it, what I have to do? I had to go on the eBay. So I, I'm, I've, I've become aware of this phenomenon this year, which is you want to see certain movies and you go through all the streaming services and they're not there well if you really want to see it you you have to commit to getting a physical copy of the movie 
but this was a movie I wanted to because I, I like it. So I was okay with that. I think you can see some of it. Um, you know, look it up on YouTube or something. But uh, anyway, so 1996. Uh, this is, as you could imagine, a gangster movie since it's about John Gotti, uh, who's a real person. I'm not commenting on him as a real person. I'm commenting on the character as portrayed in this uh, film. And um, the film, in many ways, is sort of a spiritual prequel to The Sopranos. So why? Well, it's HBO, but also a number of the actors who ended up being on The Sopranos are in this movie. Vincent Pastor, Tony Sirico, you know, Polly, uh, Dominic Chinese, I think is how you pronounce it, his Uncle Junior. Um, they're all in it. Um, so you have that similarity. You have actors who went on to be in The Sopranos. But there's a, this other similarity, which is that it is a meditation of sorts um, on on life as opposed through the vehicle of a quote unquote gangster film, because in this movie, first of all, I want to tell you this is a sad movie. This is not a uh, this is not in any form uh, or fashion an uplifting movie. It's also not an action movie. This is a a movie about um, examining a person, their motives their life choices and their circumstances and uh and really has a lot to do with rationalization and justification so throughout the film the Gotti character is is kind of talking about why you know so it's this theme of why is he making the decisions he's making why is he doing the things he's doing why has he been put in these life circumstances you know what other choices did he have and you have this um you have this disconnect between, you know, he's talking about the rules of this life he's, uh, that he's chosen or this life that's chosen him and how important the rules are, but yet he's breaking the rules throughout the film. Um, and that doesn't really hit home um, to him. Uh, there's a, just a lot of talk about legacy, uh, mortality, uh, but there is, a, you know, greed is a theme that runs throughout. Um, again, there's no big shootout climax instead it's more of a spiritual climax which is you know this person being betrayed but at the same time there's been plenty of betrayal um you know all around throughout and uh you know there's no glorification i think of this life um that's being portrayed because these are really sad people no one seems particularly happy um there's just a lot of distrust uh, it's always what can i get from you every relationship you know has some either there's an advantage to it or there isn't and if there isn't then there's a you know deadly consequences to that and so it is uh it is a really interesting and i think just a very thought-provoking portrayal of um something that might get glorified on the one hand but really it's just life decisions and choices and again um looking inside ourselves and inventory asking why you know what what is it we tell ourselves uh as we take certain actions as we've made certain decisions in our lives and we live with the consequences of those decisions what is it we're telling ourselves and you know are we being honest and uh in this case i think throughout the gaudy character again i'm not saying the real person but the character in the film is just constantly um rationalizing what they've done and justifying what they've done um, to them to themselves. Of course, they're saying it out loud so that we know what they're saying. Um, so, 
you know, there might be points where I think a skeptic would say some of the acting might have been uh, hammy, what have you, but I, I don't think so. I think it's just a quality uh, film that, again, what is your expectation going into it? If you go into it looking for the big shootout explosions, that's not this film whatsoever. Uh, it's a thought piece. And so I enjoyed it. Good movie. Gotti, 1996. Uh, and guess what? I have it here. So let's give credit where it's due, which is directed by Robert Harmon. Screenplay by Steve Shagan. Uh, so, quality film, in my opinion. So I recommend that. There you go. That was something I watched this week. Gotti, 1996. That was an HBO movie. And I don't know what's going on with HBO. Why don't they? Sh I, I, HBO Max, I think, is one of the best, um, you know, services out there. But for some reason, they do not have this film available on there. I don't know what the story is. Um, so get it any way you can. <laughs> I'm sure you really appreciate that I'm talking about yet another movie that the only way you're going to see it is if you buy it. Uh, but who knows? Maybe you already have it, huh? And I'm just, you know, kind of enticing you to pick it up again and watch it anyway. And also, I wonder about uh, people now in 2021, how many people know the story? You know, is it as prominent as it was back around the time this film was made? The story of John Gotti, again, a real person, but this is a dramatization and uh, quality movie. Okay. All right. Great. Here we go. Next. Well, before we go to our big weekly party down discussion, I want to take the time, as I always do, and uh, again, I don't have a sponsor in terms of somebody sponsoring this podcast. Will it ever happen? Highly unlikely, although it is possible. Uh, instead, I'm going to make a pitch for a nonprofit organization, that being the Louisville Legal Aid Society. As a disclaimer, I don't work for them. They don't endorse me. They don't endorse anything I'm saying. They haven't asked me to do this. I'm just a person voluntarily making this pitch to you because I believe in this organization. It's a quality organization. It's an important organization. This is an organization that provides uh, legal services to low-income individuals in need, to the homeless, to veterans, to domestic violence victims. So if in these difficult times you find yourself in a charitable mood, you find yourself with a little extra to give, please consider going to www.laslou.org. And I think you'll see there's a donate button to click. I think also you could go to yourlegalaid, with no E, .org. And I think it takes you to the same website, or yourlegalaid, with no E, .org, slash donate. So there you go. The Louisville Legal Aid Society, if you have, if you have the means, if you have the, the charity in your heart, please give to a quality, quality organization. Okay, it's that time, folks. Let's do it. Let's talk about Party Down. Okay, folks, it's time. It's time, it's time for the weekly installment uh, discussion about Party Down. 
you recall uh, the first episode, it was uh, just an overview of, of the show, of all the characters. And since then, we've done deep dives on individual characters. Uh, Henry Pollard, Ron Donald, and now a deep dive on Casey Klein, played by Lizzie Kaplan. That's right. Remember, Party Down, uh, the show, Stars Network, 2009-2010, created by John Embaum, Rob Thomas, Dan Etheridge, and Paul Rudd. Um, as I said, most of the episodes, the quote-unquote teleplay is credited to John Embaum, but credit to all those who worked on it. And please watch the show. Uh, if you have stars, you can see it. If you have Hulu, you can watch it. You can buy it digitally on Amazon and I believe on iTunes as well. And like I said, uh, I've said many times, I think the cheapest way to see it is if you uh, purchase the physical copies. Uh, they sell them by each season or the whole series, and it's quite cheap uh, to do it. So get multiple versions, huh? Why not uh, digital and physical? Anyway, watch it. Uh, as always, spoilers, 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 all the spoilers, okay? Um, I still think you can enjoy it, uh, enjoy this discussion. If you are in the process of watching it or you're getting ready to watch it, if you haven't watched it, uh, but, uh, you know, watch it. So it, it's just an excellent, outstanding, incredible show. So watch it, watch it, watch it. So here we go. Let's talk about Casey Klein, played by America's Greatest Living Actor, Izzy Kaplan. I keep saying that, and I mean it. And uh, I just want to, you know, I've talked at length. I just want to tell you all, just give you an idea. Uh, watch season four of a show called Masters of Sex. That's the show, uh, you know, based on a based on a true story of uh, Dr. William H. Masters and Virginia E. Johnson. Um, and, you know, those are real people in the series. They're played by Michael Sheen uh, as Dr. Masters and Lizzie Kaplan as Virginia E. Johnson. Uh, critically, I think season one was all the rage. But I'm going to talk about season four briefly because I think that really accentuates and shows the, the skill that she has as an actor. Because in season four... Uh, I mean, what was that, five years ago? So I, I don't know if it's, it's kind of spoiler territory-ish, although these are real people. But let me just give you some broad, you know, kind of nonspecific uh, statements. In season four, there's more of an emphasis, I think, on the Virginia Johnson character. The, the Dr. Masters character in some ways uh, settles down, you might say. Uh, and so there's more of an emphasis on the 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 true depth and complexity of the Virginia Johnson character again this is a fictionalization of a real person um, but because of the complexity of this character you really get this uh, incredible series of performances by Lizzie Kaplan where in each episode in each scene you know there's there's five different emotions happening at the same time and of course maybe if you haven't seen the whole series, maybe you don't get the full depth of what is happening, but I still think you, I think you get most of it. Uh, this is one of those shows, by the way, that has like previously on, I mean, it's a pretty in-depth previously on for uh, every episode. Um, if you remember, if you watched Game of Thrones, you know, you would watch the previously on and they would 
show a scene from like two seasons ago and that was a big hint to you that issue is going to come up again and that that's kind of how masters of sex was they would have these pretty in-depth previously ons you watch it and then you you're you're caught up on what's going to happen although you haven't seen everything that came before unless you watched all the episodes so but season four i mean episode two is called inventory season four episode three is called the pleasure protocol and in those you you know you just get this wild uh series of um emotions i mean uh anger sadness uh you know fake happiness devastation um everything in between and it's a character that particularly in season four just lies constantly um uh but doesn't mean it or you know there's this disconnect or you know she's lying but she doesn't think she's lying and it's it's just a very um in-depth um rich and deep performance a series of performances Uh, again i really just think season four puts a particular spotlight um on on her character so is that a hot take yeah maybe i don't know What's interesting is that uh, she spends a lot of time acting across from Jeremy Strong, who, if you watch Succession, which is excellent, excellent show on HBO, uh, Jeremy Strong plays uh, Kendall Roy. And watch season four of Masters of Sex and watch some of the reactions and sort of the complex emotions that are uh, emoted. I don't know, that's not well stated, but uh, that are acted out by Lizzie Kaplan. And then watch Succession, and you can see... Um, some, some of those same type of complex reactions in Jeremy Strong's performance, in my opinion, as a, this amateur pop culture observer, uh, you see the similarities in, again, sort of this, the, the, the nuance and the comp- the complexity of these characters and their reactions in portraying just two, three, four, five emotions simultaneously sometimes. And so, uh, can't recommend enough. Hey, guess what? You ready for some synergy to get back on track? Well, you might remember the actor Andre Royo who played uh, Bubbles so brilliantly on The Wire, the HBO series. Well, guess what? He is in season four of Masters of Sex playing Sammy Davis Jr. in uh, episode three. I believe it's the Pleasure Protocols, the title of the episode. Uh, He also has a role in Party Down, season two, episode eight, Joel Munt's Big Deal Party. So there we go. There's some synergy getting us right back on track with Party Down Talk. Uh, Casey Klein uh, is an aspiring comedian. So, you know, Henry Pollard, played by Adam Scott, the great Adam Scott is, um, you know, the quote-unquote failed actor. We've talked about that. Ron Donald, um, played by the great Ken Marino, is um, not trying to get anything in particular in the entertainment field. Not in the entertainment field. He is aspiring just to be successful whatever that means um kyle bradway played by ryan hansen he's an aspiring actor um you have martin Starr playing roman de beers and he is uh, an aspiring writer um and so you have this unique aspiration of being a comedian now having said that there's a lot of you know she's attempting to act also in comedic roles so Casey stands alone as the aspiring comedian talking about her origins. There's not a lot that we know about in terms of her backstory. Um, when the character is introduced, she's married 
um, to a guy named Mike. Mike makes one appearance in the uh, first episode, season one, episode one, the Willow Canyon homeowners annual party. We see him. He shows up. He confronts her. They talk in the background. And that's all we ever see from him. Because when we meet her, there is a, a, a rift, a split taking place. And that is she's, she's facing this fork in the road. Her husband at the time, Mike, he uh, has got a job in Burlington, Vermont. Yay, Burlington. Really nice place. But to go to Burlington essentially means to give up her dream. So right away, early in the show, she gets put in this fork in the road situation. We know that she has a mother who is not supportive, apparently, of her uh, comedic aspirations. And we learn that in all the way in season two, episode nine. So the penultimate episode of the series to date is when there's a reference to, you know, not liking her mother. And her mother kind of seems like um, minimizing or downplaying her comedic uh, aspirations. So we learn that she's not you know the, the husband in the beginning her mother she does not seem to have people supporting her dreams um, and then she makes a comment in season one episode f- six that is taylor uh, stiltskin's sweet 16 that she was quote unquote medium popular high school and that's about the extent of the backstory that's about the extent of what we know of um of casey uh casey uh, i used the word earlier mercurial yes I, absolutely because casey will be all over the place in in episodes henry describes her as crabby and uh, what's it season one episode seven uh, she describes herself as acerbic in uh, season two episode two uh in terms of themes of this character uh she is guarded um she her emotions um and there are moments of of, of tears but that's all done privately. The only people who see that are, are either the audience or Henry. Everybody else, um, she keeps it hidden. Big on keeping information private about what she's going through. Has a hard time expressing her emotions, as she says in Season 1, Episode 9. Um, and so it makes the, the, the issue of the marriage um, interesting. We just don't know. We don't know what the marriage was like. We don't know how they met or anything about it because uh, right away the... Uh, she's in the midst of deciding whether or not to get divorced and of course she does decide to leave the husband he get he goes to vermont she stays to continue to pursue her comedic dreams um we know that she's hardworking. you know her and i said in the first episode of this podcast her along with kyle seem to be the two people who are working the hardest uh to achieve their dreams she's you know doing uh the groundlings or all kinds of comedic um, activities. She has a stand-up routine. She's um, doing auditions. She, you know, she is trying. Um, she works hard at comedy, as far as we can tell, but not party down. I would say she takes it. Uh, she's the least committed uh, to to working hard at, at party down. Not to say she doesn't show up and work, but it's. Uh, she makes it very clear it is just a job, um, and. She's going to do what she has to do to have the job, but she is not invested. Um, and that, that's something she makes clear throughout. You know, you have the theme of the, the cell phone, right? So the cell phone is there. She's always ready to answer it. That runs particularly throughout season one and then in the beginning of season two. But remember in season two, Henry becomes team leader. 
And um, actually, if you're paying attention from what I have seen after the second episode of season two, you don't see her cell phone again um, during work hours. She doesn't answer it in uh, any of the episodes until the very last episode of the series, of season two, episode 10. So she's hardworking. She's driven. Uh, there is a question, though, of how good of a comedian she is. Um, we have a description of her act, which does not seem particularly funny, in season two, episode nine. Uh, in season one, episode seven, she helps Rick Fox write some jokes for uh, a, a company uh, retreat. Uh, those bomb. Here's an interesting note. From what I can tell, unless I'm missing something, the only person that we know in the show who has seen her act is Ricky Sargulish, played by Steven Weber in season one, episode eight. He makes a comment, Ricky Sargulish does, that he saw her on a show called Stand Up Showdown and says that she's very funny. As far as I can tell, that is the only person that we see who has seen her act or who comments on actually seeing her act because from all we know Henry has not seen her act um, there's a comment about him not going to her shows or her not taking him to his shows in season 2 episode 9 um, we don't know if the husband saw her uh, because there's nothing is said about that so interesting note there um, she is assertive she's confident uh, she's competitive we learned that in season 2 uh, episode seven, the com the party down uh, company picnic. We see the competitive side. Um, there's also a theme of sort of a disconnect. There's sort of a disconnect with the consequences of her decisions or her actions or what impacts they might have, particularly when it comes to Henry. And it's something we'll talk more about. Um, Casey and Henry form one of the three primary relationships in the show, one being Henry and Ron. Uh, the other, you know, with Henry is Henry and Casey. The third primary relationship is Kyle and Roman. But the Henry and Casey uh, romance, you might say, runs uh, throughout the series beginning in season one, episode three. And it is kind of a driving uh, force of the show. Uh, and they, they have a, I don't know, yin and yang, for lack of a better word, uh, Henry being more passive and he's, uh, you know, he's quote-unquote failed, Casey being more assertive, and she's still trying, and uh, they complement each other. And, and one way is that, as I talked about, we, we don't know that the husband or the, clicks, or the mother, certainly, they're not supportive, uh, whereas Henry is. Henry is telling her, go for it. Henry's saying, you can do it. Um, and so I think that fills an important um, hole in her life. It fills an important void. Um, and so the other thing we have is this sort of um, alibi. Casey has a lot of alibis, particularly when it comes to Henry. She, in this first season, she makes a point of saying there's no commitment with him. They're just friends. Um, and so uh, tying those two themes in, this disconnect. Well, Henry is a very lonely person, as we learned. And so there's this disconnect of just being friends, but yet they hook up and all these things. And she doesn't see the impact it would have on this very kind of sad, lonely person. Um, but she has the alibi, the defense. Well, I told you this was casual. I told you this was casual as a way to kind of 
keep a distance, keep a shield up. And, um, you know, she does it in, 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 it's understandable in that she has made this decision. She's going all in, she's going for it. And, um, that involves making some decisions of, of leaving some people behind. And that happens with, uh, the husband in season one, episode three, when she decides to get divorced. And then it happens with Henry season one, episode 10, when she goes for the cruise line gig. We'll talk more about that. Uh, here's high points. Well, the high points of this character, I think pretty clear would be season two, episode two. That is the precious lights preschool auction. She finds out that she has landed the big role. This is her big break. She auditioned for a uh, part in a Judd Apatow movie and she's got it. So that's it, right? This is a big break. She ends the episode on a, on a high. Now it's not a, it's not a high point in terms of her relationship with Henry because, uh, she sort of punishes Henry for caring, for being team leader. She takes a lot of shots at Henry, makes his life uh, more difficult, although she does apologize. Um, I would also say another high point would be season one, episode three, which is Pepper McMaster's single seminar. That's when you know Casey kind of declares her independence. She says she's going to go for it, tells the husband or texts him that uh, she's staying, which means divorce. And then also... Uh, you know, she she goes for it, and uh, she hooks up with Henry in that episode. Uh, as I said er earlier, you had, uh, as far as we know, there's one character on the show, confirmed, who has seen Casey's act, that being Ricky Sargulis. So another high point would have to be season one, episode eight, in which Ricky tells her, I saw your act, and you're very funny. Okay? Um, conversely, low points, well, folks, I think you know what I'm going to say here if you've watched the show, season two, episode ten. To date, the series finale, in which, oh yes, she does not get her big break. Her scene in the Judd Apatow film was cut, so she crashes there. Uh, and then another low point would be season two, episode three. Um, that is, interestingly, the episode after she she finds out she gets her big break, uh, she's miserable. She's very unhappy in that episode, um, and we'll talk more about that. In spite of her big break, typical party down fashion, Casey is miserable the next the next time we see her. Now, in terms of my favorite performance or best moment, uh, I'm going to go with season two, episode one. That is Jackal Nass's backstage party. Uh, that is with uh, Jimmy Simpson as uh, Jackal Nassus, which is a Marilyn Manson type rock star, you might say, and. Love that episode. I love the bit that the rock star wishes he was just a, wishes he was a caterer. They, and of course they wish they were him and uh, everyone's unhappy, but uh, it's a great, great performance because Casey comes back and it's just the range of the performance. This kind of, you know, this disconnect of how, how she thinks Henry's going to react, how Henry does react um, her shock that Henry would, you know, be in a relationship Um with Uda, and also you get the kind of uh, the establishment of her relationship with Lydia, uh, which is very, very funny. Throughout the whole second season, um, Casey's uh, moments or her just her talks with Lydia are all funny. Uh, they're all very funny. Um, so that's a, that's kind of a great relationship that gets set up. Um, I also like season one, episode seven. As I mentioned, that's the Brand X corporate retreat. 
And uh, that's another episode where Casey is just all over the place. Sad, uh, laughing, uh, flirting with Rick Fox, <laughs> losing it, throwing rubber balls at uh, Roman's head. And so that, that I just love the range of the performance in that. And I think it's a great, great Casey episode. All right, well, let's get to it. All right, let's, let, let's talk about what happens with Casey episode by episode. You know, not every single point that happens, but let's try and get an overview of this character and let's look at the arc. What's my arc? All right, here we go. Season one. So when we first meet Casey, season one, episode one, she's on the phone. She's arguing with her husband right away, establishing marital issues. What are those issues related to? Well, her desire to continue to pursue or comedic aspirations and his desire apparently to move on. He's got a job in Burlington, Vermont. We find out he wants to go. He wants her to come with her. She's not so sure. So we, uh, we see Mike. Now here's an interesting thing for all of you paying attention, paying real, real close attention. If you watch the show, uh, I've got this time code for you. Are you ready? Go to, 1840, 18 minutes and 40 seconds, and you will see who I believe is uh, Mike standing in the background. Uh, Henry is having a conversation with the homeowner, the uh, what is the state law attorney who is uh, getting drunk, ends up uh, skinny dipping in the pool and all that. The foreground is Henry talking with the homeowner. If you look in the background, I believe that is Mike Klein, I suppose. I don't know. We, I don't think. It's established what his last name is, but Mike, Casey's uh, husband at that time of season one, episode one, is just standing there. And then as that conversation ends, he walks past, and that's when Henry goes to confront him. And Henry, of course, falls in the pool. Uh, and so uh, that's all we see of Mike. Season one, episode one, Casey argues with him in the background. But this episode does a great job of establishing kind of the rapport that Henry and Casey have. Right away, they hit it off, cracking jokes, being sarcastic, uh, very funny moments between them. But Casey cannot remember his name. Uh, she's also the first person to recognize Henry uh, as the uh, Are We Having Fun Yet? beer commercial actor. So one of the great moments, I think, uh, in the whole show in terms of Henry and Casey happens at the end of that episode season one episode one when they Casey brings the empty, empty box of booze up and Henry apologizes but she can't remember his name again and it's kind of a, a touching moment between them and it, it establishes that there's something going on here these two people click and you go from there so moving on to season one episode two uh, California College Conservative Union Caucus this is where the fork in the road becomes clear Mike, the husband, has gone to Burlington house hunting, and she is here deciding whether or not to quit. Uh, she's being tempted by Mike with uh, a brochure of the Yucks, which is a comedy troupe, apparently, in Burlington. And she meets uh, a conservative female attendee who is from Burlington or from outside of Burlington trying to uh, pitch her and entice her to go ahead and follow the husband there. Henry sort of coyly entices her to stay while I was, you know, just talking about quitting and all these things, but really kind of pushing her in the direction of staying. And uh, 
critical moment, and I think that this is important to really understand what happens in the season one finale, uh, just to keep track of this. She thinks she's going to get this Comedy Central gig. Nope. She does not get the gig. So keep that in mind. You know, she she thinks she's going to get it. No, she doesn't. Uh, nice moment at the end. Um, symbolically, she's talking with Henry. She's got this, like, American flag stirrer. And, uh, it, you know, there's this whole discussion of family values and all these kinds of things. And it falls over. And uh, then the show ends, right? So we get this idea of the family values. All that's kind of falling down and uh we get the hint we get the idea that she's going to stay well of course she's going to stay she's one of the main characters right we need her to stay we need to see what we'll see what happens in the life and times of casey klein so episode three decision time peppa mcmaster single seminar um we learn that she has a decent alcohol tolerance in this right like throughout the episode she keeps taking these vodka shots and that's a theme with casey is uh, anytime she's sort of facing emotions, uh, she goes to the alcohol, right? Um, so in this, uh, there's a lot of flip phone texting. Uh, very impressive. She's apparently a very skilled flip phone texter. Does anybody remember that? Because didn't you, wasn't each number had multiple letters? Uh, I, yeah, anyway. So it was harder to do back then. This is what, 2009? much harder to text back then as I remember it but uh remember then we had like the those pop out they went sideways and they had the built-in keyboards those seemed easier than the ones we have now anyway um so there's a little little digression there about the uh evolution of texting <laughs> and uh, so we've come a long way in this you know, this whole thing is the single seminar. She has this really interesting conversation with Peppa McMaster as the seminar uh, runner and, and this author, you know, trying to motivate uh, single seniors. And, you know, she's she's, she's talking about she's going to go for it. And uh, Pepper kind of gives her some mixed messages there. But uh, very funny stuff. And you see the rapport continue to build with Henry until finally... She sends the text, she's getting divorced, and then she makes a move to Henry, they hook up, and now we're off and running. Season one, episode three, we are off and running. Henry and Casey have hooked up. Casey has declared her independence. She is staying, she's getting divorced, she's going for it. So, that leads us into season one, episode four, this being the investor's dinner. And... This is one of those um, moments of kind of the, the disconnect, right? Because she clearly did not see how lonely and sad Henry is because the hooking up was important to Henry in that he didn't feel lonely for a moment. And so right away the episode starts and she apologizes for, if, for using him or making him feel used. And, uh, you know, he talks about it being adequate and we learn about her ego. It's very uh, upsetting to her. It's offensive that uh, he used the word adequate in describing their relations. Um, and so she also she puts herself out there to, to get those shots taken because she kind of doubles down, you know, talking about sympathy for Henry and all these things. And uh, he takes some shots back. Um, and But what you see in the episode is that 
uh, she is amused by Henry. You know, there, there's something about him that is clearly different than her relationship with Mike. And uh, he kind of wins her over with his, uh, with his charm, with his humor, um, his, with his, uh, his witness sarcasm, makes her smile. And uh, also it's a bolder Henry in this episode than we see in other episodes. So the timing was right. You know, he, he kind of cracks the case of the fraud in this episode. Uh, and so what does she do? Well, she talks about ground rules, right? They're just going to be friends with benefits and all these things. An alibi, like I talked about before. So she's got this alibi, right? They they are going to be together, but only on certain terms. And then there's no commitment. Um, that's how she feels. But remember, Henry has already declared he is a sad, lonely person. So is he going to experience it the same way? No, of course not. Uh, moving on to season one, episode five. Uh, this is this is a this is one of those merc mercurial performances, right? So she starts off. She's upset. It's a awkward uh, party. People are gawking at her, you know. And um, so Henry tries to come up behind her. She drops her tray. Uh, she keeps him at bay by talking, reminding him of the casual nature of their relationship. Um, and she's upset, you know. Uh, husband, uh, divorce proceedings are happening or communications. And significantly, she thinks she's going to get a, uh, or she's trying to get a Reno 911 gig. Guess what? She's not going to get it. So let's remember that also. Comedy Central gig, no. Reno 911 gig, no. Um, again, laying the foundation for what takes place. Season 1, episode 10. It's all there. All the pieces are there. Um, and so what happens? Well, she goes from being down to the next moment. Henry sees her, she's, she's kind of up because she has ingested ecstasy. So she's rolling. So now all of a sudden she's having a good time. She's, you know, affectionate with Henry, the opposite of what she was before. So he's chasing after her, trying to, to get in the same headspace as her. Um, but guess what? By the time he catches up, she's sick and apparently throws up, right? So it's it's great great Casey performance of just being all over the place being down uh being up being down again and again she did not get the Reno 911 gig and poor Henry gets left by himself um shuffling back and forth under the influence of ecstasy um so and she calls him quote a good friend all right well moving on season one episode six this uh, Taylor Stiltskin uh, Sweet 16, this is helper Casey. So Casey's in, in a helping mood here. She helps Taylor. Taylor has have, it's her Sweet 16, but none of the cool kids show up. Uh, very few people show up. Taylor won't leave a room. So Casey reaches out. Casey encourages her, talks about, you know, how hard it is to, 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 be, to try to be popular and instead just to have fun. And uh, she's also uh, trying to encourage Henry because in this, uh, an actor that Henry knows, Michael, um, is there and telling Casey, guess what, Henry can actually act, which is, comes as a surprise to her uh, because, again, she just knows him from the beer ads. Are we having fun yet? So uh, I would say an interesting thing about this episode is what I would call hurtful helping. So she means to help Henry and she's encouraging him to go out there and put himself out there but 
in his mind, he just gets embarrassed again. He gets shot down, and uh, he's kind of in the same place. And in the end, you know, he says, "Do you like me?" She, she says, essentially, "Yes, but I wish, you know, I wish I'd got the part. I'd like you better if you got the part." Which, which hurts Henry because, uh, you know, he's dealing with the fallout of his dreams not being realized. So, uh, helpful Casey. Uh, we see a kind of a kind Casey, but also hurtful. <laughs> Uh, to Henry in the end um, but we get that kind of backstory um, medium popular so again we know so little about uh, Casey but from her own description quote unquote medium popular in high school and that, I mean again that's that's all we know whereas you know Henry and, and, and Ron we know a little bit more Ron in particular because Ron puts himself out there and talks about what he's going through and also Ron and, and Henry have a prior history working at Party Down. But um, Casey, not so much. So that leads us to Season 1, Episode 7. Um, this is another one where we get this kind of full spectrum um, of emotions um, in that it starts off and kind of out of nowhere, she, she leans on Henry, you know, uh, leans on his shoulder, embraces him because she's down. She says, "You got to help me get through it." Something has happened on the cell phone that's upset her. We don't. I don't think we ever know whether it's something with the husband or it's another rejection. We don't know. Uh, but she leans on Henry. But then she pulls back because she doesn't want anybody to know, you know, that they they're having uh, they're hooking up or anything like that. So we see again these kind of mixed messages right uh, we we see the, that she's private we see see that she's guarded she doesn't want anybody to know what she's going through except henry um but on the one hand she's saying to henry you know i i, I need you to lean on i think she calls it his job um uh, but then also she makes it clear you know they're just they're just friends it's casual and all these things so there's that alibi right i i, I I'm getting close to you, but I'm not, so I can walk away at any minute because I told you all along. So that's what we see with Casey, but that's not what's happening with Henry. Again, lonely Henry. This is somebody he cares about, and uh, it's not a casual thing to him in spite of what he says. Um, we, <laughs> she, um, she goes from being upset to flirting with Rick Fox, and that's the theme throughout. Like Rick Fox, as you might remember, former NBA player and also actor. Um, he's there. He's been hired to speak at this uh, corporate retreat, which we find out is, of course, a uh, telemarketing uh, company. And so she makes some jokes. They're not funny. Um, and, in fact, he uses one of the jokes, and it bombs. So, again, we keep asking ourselves, is Casey actually funny? Um, and that's, I think, what the show wants us to think. Is she? We see the character have funny moments and have funny dialogue and be sharp with Henry, but that's different than the actual stage performance. And it's something we'll never know because we don't see that part of it. That's not what the show's about. Um, and so this one goes, this episode goes all over the place, right? So Henry gets jealous, uh, tries chasing her down, doesn't find her, but he finds her phone in Rick Fox's room. That upsets him. Um, he goes back, she is at the, um, she's in the party down, uh, faux corporate retreat that Ron is, is throwing on his clandestine corporate retreat where he's taking the materials without permission and he's running through, um, 
the materials and and when henry comes back they're making a life tree and uh for again for all you hd tv people pause it and you can see uh the life tree you can see three life trees because that's the only three that were made you can see kyle's you can see constance's life tree and you can see casey's life tree casey's life tree is sort of a phallic tree and then it has the words are you ready for this love you for fun that's what it says on there so keeping with the character right these kind of mixed messages and an alibi and guarded um and so she shows that to henry but henry's in a, in a weird space because he's jealous and he has the phone she doesn't know it yet so um they have the circle and they're trying to say things she keeps if you watch she keeps trying to figure out what's wrong with him she can see that he's distant uh and then this is the climax of the ro weird roman infatuation with casey and i hadn't really even talked about it because it's so one-sided you know roman is into casey uh and he's super creepy uh, she is not into him of course he he makes comments about her she appropriately stands up for herself uh but in doing so she lets it out that uh that she and henry are hooking up because she thinks that's what henry has said of course he hasn't and then the issue with the phone comes out <laughs> casey blasts roman in the head which is a great moment and then the uh she angrily denies anything happening with rick fox of course we find out guess what in the next episode that's not true she says that they made out so it's a lie to Henry, although I guess we don't know at what point the making out took place. Could have happened afterwards, we're not sure. Probably not, though, because the joke bombed and she kind of slipped out of the room. But Henry confronts her and says, you know, look, I mean, I have feelings. And she's like, I, no, I told you it's casual and I just wanted to drive his car. Nothing happened and all that. So, again, it's that, uh, it's that alibi. She, she needs Henry, leans on his shoulder, but then pushes him away when she wants so you know she's an independent person she does what she wants but the problem is sort of that disconnect right of how she's feeling uh, versus the consequences of her decisions on other people in particular henry which leads to season one episode eight uh we have um the, the she's still mad at henry when the episode starts uh great moments here which uh, henry gets himself into some trouble you know ricky sargulish uh, has been acquitted of killing uh, someone. Uh, there's suspicions that, in fact, he did it. And uh, Henry makes out with uh, Ricky's girlfriend. Henry then, you know, holds on to Casey to as an alibi, as his alibi. Oh, there's a shift there. His alibi to Ricky is that he's engaged with her, um, which she uh, does. She goes along with, you know, uh, reluctantly. We'll put it that way. Uh, but again, high moment, which is Ricky saying that he saw her on Stand Up Showdown and says that she was very funny. So this is the only person in the entire series that I am aware of that acknowledges seeing her act and acknowledges that her act is funny. So that is a high moment in the midst of the awkward uh, tension there is with, with Henry. And guess what? We see jealousy from uh, Casey. When she becomes aware that some flirting has happened and ultimately she becomes aware that Henry made out, uh, she's clearly jealous, but she won't say it. Again, she, that, that guarded, she won't admit, 
alibi of saying, no, I'm not, I'm not jealous. I'm just wondering and all this kind of stuff. And so we see the flip side, which is, although she keeps saying it's casual, she has feelings. So that brings us to dun, 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 season one, episode nine, which is James Rolfe High School 20th reunion. Of course, that's Ron Donald's uh, reunion. And here is sort of a climax of sorts, and that being her attempts to keep Henry and their their relationship quote unquote casual because Henry is saying that he's going to leave. He's saying he has no life here, you know, and having a casual arrangement uh, with Casey is not enough to keep him anchored. So he's considering going home. Casey being guarded can't bring herself to say, I, you know, I want you to stay. So there's this whole back and forth. And so she tries the d- different ways to coax him into staying, sort of tormenting him, and then using Ron's high school buddy, Donnie, played by Joe Latruglio, as an example of why you can't go back to your parents' home and you have to, you know, you have to keep trying or you can't retreat like that. And she explicitly says that she has a hard time uh, expressing her feelings or expressing that she wants Henry to stay. And instead of just saying you can't leave because I want you to stay. She does these other means till finally Henry basically directly confronts her. Well, if you tell me you want me to stay, then maybe I'll stay. Now, she doesn't ask him to stay, which is what he says. Instead, she just says the word stay, and that's enough. Um, a really interesting moment happens. Um, blink and you miss it. But that is after she has said stay to Henry, and he says, okay, I'll, basically he's going to stay you see her sitting alone um, on the stairs. and Ron kind of runs by. And uh, it's an interesting moment because all she says is, you know, not now, Ron, but you see her kind of processing, right? She's, on the one hand, she's, it appears, and this is just my interpretation, it appears that she's kind of coming to grips with the fact that she she does, in fact, have feelings for Henry that are more than just casual. Um, And maybe in some way she's mad at herself because of that. So it's, it's it's a nuanced performance and it's a complex character. Uh, another th- another thing, though, is the whenever it's a time to deal with emotions, she takes shots. Uh, you see that earlier in the episode. She mentions to, Han- to Ron that Henry's thinking of leaving, so she takes uh, she takes a drink. That's how old Casey deals with confronting her emotions. She drinks, at least in the first season. So Henry is staying, and because she has said stay, it is clear that we are beyond a casual relationship a casual you know hookup whatever as she calls it which brings us to are you ready have you prepared yourself for season one episode 10 which is the stenheiser pong wedding reception this episode starts off with uh henry and casey making out and henry oh cringe cringely is that a word cringefully cringily cringe henry is declaring that you know he's kind of okay with his life now because of her well guess what she's gonna leave and you know we we get this phone call it plays out she keeps saying she wants to talk with him and then when they do talk she doesn't really come out and say what's going on Um, but what we learn is that she's been offered a six-month gig on a cruise ship And so 
the debate that is happening, which we don't know because she's kind of dancing around it or speaking vaguely about it, is whether or not to go. And of course, this is occurring on the heels of Henry and Casey's relationship can becoming more serious. Will she go? Well, yes, she will. And it's sad for Henry, of course. It does make sense, though, right? Because her dream is to be a comedian. And she has left her husband to be a comedian, to follow that dream. And throughout the first season, we keep seeing rejections. And so here she is, a has a chance to be paid for six months as a comedian. So she goes for it. However, she doesn't just go for it. She also breaks it off with Henry. In this episode, of course, we talked about at length the last two weeks, which is that Henry, you know, helps Ron. Henry saves Ron. Ron is... is broken after the fallout from his um, reunion he's in danger of losing his dream of being you know running the supercrackers at, at that time and henry you know is serious henry gets serious and, and and tries to run the crew for ron and she seems almost put off by it you know she and because again she's not invested in party down she's invested in her comedic career so she seems almost put off by it you know, she considers Henry cool. How many times we hear her describe him as cool. And so there, there is a reason. And it, and she does, you know, she learns that reason later on when he, when Henry says, I'm doing, you know, we're doing this. So Ron doesn't get fired, but she doesn't just leave. She breaks up with them and she makes the comment that you should be with somebody better than me. She thinks she, she describes herself as the worst. And so why does she do this? Well, I, I think it gets back to the clean break, right? Like she broke up with her husband, they divorced so that she could f pursue her dreams. And it's the same situation here, right? If she, the six months away, if she's in this committed relationship, she's going to be looking back. And so I, I think that the character is making this break because she's going for it. She's going to go focus entirely on her act and, and, and do that by working the, the, the cruise liner. And so think that. And then also, I, I, it seems that, she, you know, she's saying, you know, we're just different people. You, you really do care about Ron and are helping him out this way. And that's just not something I'm invested in. This, is, this isn't something I care about, uh, this being party down. But in the end, she takes the bullet for Ron, which is there, there's been this mix-up and there's been a shellfish poisoning and she jumps in and says, I did it, which I think she does. If there's a line where Henry's saying, no, you, this is on the wrong platter. So I think, in fact, she did. She is the one who made the mistake, it appears. Um, but she, she jumps in and takes bullet. And season one, episode 10 ends with her driving away, right? She drives away. Henry's standing there. She doesn't look at him. And the car pulls away. She's going to follow her dreams. And Henry is left behind. And opportunities do present themselves. He becomes team leader. And now he has a relationship with Uda Banked. So that leads us to season two. So we go to season two and it starts with Jack Onassis backstage party. Uh, when the season begins, we don't know where's Casey. Last we knew, she had uh, gone uh, to uh, get a job uh, doing six months of stand-up on a cruise line. We learned that about nine months have passed, which would be roughly the 
amount of time, you know, in real time from the end of the first season to when the second season aired in 2010. So you have that. But uh, Henry fires Tim and the replacement, it turns out, is... That's right, it's Casey. So Casey returns. And of course we get this sort of cyclical nature or this throwback moment where you know, season one, episode one, Henry returns and he's kind of shocked that uh, Ron is the team leader and says that. Season two, episode one, Casey returns and she's shocked that Henry is the team leader and expresses that. So uh, I love this episode and I love this performance because there's this disconnect, right? She comes in, she's smiling. Of course, Henry is upset and he's not expressing that, but you can, you, you know, you can tell he's still hurt, uh, understandably, but she does not pick up on that. And, you know, she's smiling at him and then she, you know, makes this comment, you know, when they, when they're alone, you know, that's your big line, you know, and, you know, basically trying to get him to have a, a conversation with her, whereas he is just team leading and giving her directions you have um, her telling him what happened because apparently there's been no communication they have not spoken to each other and so she tells him what happened says it went well, well and then also lets him know that she's in a relationship so uh right away you know again with that alibi so she's there she's telling what happened but right away she's putting up that kind of block um you know to let him know there's that I'm with somebody else, so there's not that element or there's not that aspect to our relationship. That's That door's closed, is what she's saying. At least that's what the alibi is. We see otherwise, because um, she finds out through Jackal Onassis, who is disguised as uh, bar, the, the, the new bartender, Dennis, which he's going by, his alias there, that Henry is in a relationship with Uda. And so you see this incredible change in, in the character, you know, from being kind of happy and she thinks, she, you know, she's got it together and she's protected from any awkwardness with Henry by having the, she's in her own relationship, but then she finds out and then you start to see there are still feelings there. And so um, the great Lydia uh, moments throughout, uh, great introduction of Lydia, which is her talking with Ken... Casey privately and kind of telling who she is and there's just a great uh, uh, rapport between the two characters and the two actors uh, and then there's this whole thing with the sign which is hand on the hip of course and then Casey you know I never do that and of course we see her do it multiple times so there's that disconnect that we're talking about um, and it's the disconnect of what was Casey expecting how did she think Henry was going to be did she think he was going to be you know just ecstatic to see her and everything was going to be great well why would he you know that was a very abrupt end to their relationship uh, she tells him to stay episode nine and then she leaves in episode 10 so how did she expect him to be and so you have uh this issue then of her being upset because he is in a relationship and she says he's mad she's upset because he didn't tell her and then there's this whole thing, this constant back and forth of they, they don't want it to be awkward. And so she says, well, why don't I flip a coin? And again, there's the alibi, right? So I don't want to, it's not that she's staying because she wants to stay. It's it, leave it all up to chance whether or not she stays. She says it's heads and that he was heads. We don't know, right? We assume that regardless of what it was, she was going to stay. Well, in a meta sense, we know it because she's, you know, 
one of the main characters, one of the lead actors. So of course he's going to stay. But in the context of the show, uh, we assume that whatever the coin said, she said she was going to stay. So there we go. We're off and rolling. And at the the episode's end ends with her saying, you know, I'm just glad I'm, we're going to work together and all this stuff. But Henry makes a point of saying, I'm your boss. Okay. Which leads into season two, episode two. Again, this is the high point for Casey professionally, because although it starts with her, you know, uh, talking to Henry about whether or not to quit because she's become discouraged. Um, it ends with her finding out she's got the role and you know, this role in this, this, it's a small part in the Judd Apatow film, but she says that this is it. This is my break. You know, everything I've done has led to this point. And so Henry makes a comment about putting all her eggs in one basket. Folks, this is party down. You know what's going to happen. She's put all her hopes and dreams on this one role, and she got the role. Is it going to work out? I think you know where this is going, and we'll find out uh, in Season 2, Episode 10, which we'll talk about in a moment. So you, it's party down. You see where this is going. But staying in the episode, Season 2, Episode 2, that is... That's it, right? She's finally got her part. Now, in terms of what's going on with her and Henry, this is her giving Henry a very hard time. She's resentful of him being the boss, and so she's undermining him on her phone a lot. Although, to her credit, at the end, she does apologize. She can see that this is a difficult job for Henry and that she has made it more difficult than it needs to. She's made it additionally difficult on top of how hard it already is. And so to her credit, she apologizes. And in fact, we see a change in behavior in terms of answering the phone from there on out. Um, also in this episode, there's a whole um, kind of subplot with her and the homeowner or the woman who has uh, organized this auction in order to get her son into the fancy school, some kind of private school situation. And this is another example of hurtful helping. So she uses information she found from, found out from Henry to help the homeowner, but in doing so, it's hurtful to Henry because the producer, the film producer, Leonard Stiltskin, he, he has had to bid against himself because the, what they've offered isn't the, the, the item they've put up for auction, which is a lunch with Tom Hanks, is not going to happen. So he has to, he has to outbid anybody who does uh, bid etc etc but in doing so Casey uses that information to help the homeowner homeowner meet the auction goal and although that was helpful information she shared with the woman who organized the auction it is hurtful to Henry because Leonard Stiltskin the producer says you're never gonna I know you did this you're never gonna work in this town again Henry says I know I'd be interested to see if the show does continue, if that plot point comes back in particular. The Leonard Stilskin threat to Henry, you'll never work in this town again, if that comes back in any new episodes. All right, so it's party down, and I mentioned this earlier. Casey's got the, her big break. Everything should be great, right? Well, wrong. Go to season two, episode three, Nick DeSinto's Orgy Night, and she's miserable. Of course, this is the episode where everyone is universally miserable. Nobody gets a, a, a happy ending or a, a, something good happened to them in this episode. Everybody's unhappy in this episode, including Casey. Starts off, she's just in a bad mood. She's, you know, she uh, 
is disgusted by the circumstances of this particular catering gig. She snaps at Henry. And then we find out in the end that she's kind of had a falling out with her her boyfriend, Paul. She mentioned she was in a relationship in season two, episode one. In season two, episode three, we find out his name is Paul and that there's been a falling out. And it turns out he's been dishonest with her and he's also been looking at some adult sites and she's upset about it. And we have a breakthrough that happens in the end of this episode. One is that, you know, this is an episode where Henry finally kind of confronts his feelings and we, you know, he acknowledges that Casey broke her heart, not to her, but to Ron. But then the breakthrough happens with Casey and Henry in that they they have a moment of, of kind of actual sharing about things that are happening in their life. In this case, Henry... He's he's kind of been fighting with Uda because there's this issue about the fish. And then Casey helps him with that. And then Casey discloses what's been going on with her. And so there's sort of a thaw between them. A funny moment happens, though, when Henry makes a point of saying to to Uda that it's just one of the waiters, meaning Casey. And, you know, she reacts uh, to that. She's upset by that comment because, you know, she holds herself out. I mean, they they have a history. And... uh, he is talking to somebody else and he's just referring referring to her as just a waiter now heavy on the symbology at the end right so one of the last things we see that the issue was with this fish and the fish uda's son's fish was sick was not getting well and it's it's a golden ram uh casey looks on her phone and makes a point about um golden rams being social fishes that are lethargic without companions message they are the golden rams henry and casey they're lethargic without each other they need that social interaction together and now i know you're saying well you said that she wasn't on the phone anymore after that well i will say to you that was after the party and that was with henry she was googling something apparently so i say it doesn't count all right maybe you think differently whatever okay season two episode four we learn that she has shot her scene. Um, she looks somewhat hungover in the beginning and uh, she does some name dropping, Seth Rogen, all his people. And in this episode, we're just really kind of provoking Henry, right? She's just she's poking at him for not acting and being boring and this is just her way of just kind of pushing him back to, to acting. We saw it in season one making comments, particularly in the uh, Sweet 16 episode trying to push him to act and this kind of begins that pushing him some more in fact I, I think i failed to mention when they first when henry and casey first talk in season two episode one she asks him how acting is in spite of the fact that he's made it clear he's quit so it's a recurrent theme with her in terms of her relationship with henry she keeps trying to push him um to act again which makes sense right because she is aspiring to 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 be a comedian um this person that she cares about or or does or does not care about the person she's had this relationship with has quit so it's a negative mirror she's looking into she you know she wants to she wants him to go for it um the way she is right so that they can share the highs and lows together i think that's my interpretation of it all right so that episode as i've talked about great episode i love the james ellison funeral but it's really not about Henry and Casey, that episode. That's a Ron episode. That's a Kyle episode. Um, but in particular, Ron. 
And so Casey in that episode um, is just kind of provoking Henry and, and taking shots at him and then going along with the plot to try and um, save the funeral from, uh, you know, disruption or, or hurting the widow and finding out that the deceased had uh, other children and other relationships. Of course, we learned that she is okay with that. The widow knew and they had an open relationship and all that. So, oh, there is another point in that, I think, which is interesting. And that is we find out that at some point, Casey had read Roman scripts. So it's sort of a, a, a kindness on her part to indulge Roman and read his scripts and was nice to him and lied to him about them being good. But now, of course, Roman being Roman uh, won't go along with uh, the attempts to try and keep the peace at the funeral. So Casey takes that opportunity to tell the truth to Roman, which is that his script was terrible. But we, but that's an interesting part of the character. We don't see that she would take the time to humor Roman in that way, just like you all are taking the time to humor me and listen to this nonsense that I'm saying to you. Of course, the show isn't nonsense. It's my commentary that's nonsense. But anyway, you're good people, and I thank you for that. <laughs> so moving on to season two, episode five, the famous, the notorious, notoriously good, uh, Steve Gutenberg's birthday. So here we go. We've gone this far in season two with Henry and Casey talking. Nothing much has happened. But this episode, big things happen. And that is Casey sees Henry act. Um, of course, uh, the, the whole crew, Sans Ron, is acting out um, a script written by Roman and his, uh, his writing partner. They're acting out a scene from a script. And of course, Henry and Casey act together and it, the part brings them together and they kiss in the context of the scene. But it turns out Steve Gutenberg has a copy of an independent film in which Henry had a small part. Casey takes the opportunity to watch that part and sees for herself that Henry, in fact, can act. He's not just a catchphrase beer commercial actor. He, in fact, has acting talent and skill. And so just like Ricky Sargulish seeing Casey and, and, and praising her, although Ricky praised everyone, didn't he? Uh, in this case, Casey sees for herself that Henry can in fact act. Even though Henry has never brought up his acting skill, we did see, um, we did hear comments from Michael, the actor in season one, episode six, The Sweet Sixteen Party. He tells Casey that Henry can in fact act she sees it for herself. And so this kind of sparks something in her, which is to confront Hen Henry again to try and encourage him to act. But not only that, they get into hot tub together and she makes a move. She kisses him. And in a rare moment, Henry rejects her advances, not initially, but then does, uh, and confronts her by talking about what happened last season which is her breaking his heart he directly says that to her and this is that disconnect right she she just seems oblivious to, to the fact that and that he was hurt um, again I, it's more alibi because she told herself that it was casual she told him it was casual so it's not you know she can say to herself she didn't mislead him in any way and and maybe she just didn't acknowledge that um, it was hurtful to Henry what happened, but here he is confronting her with it. And so 
she feels awkward um, and she flees. So, you know, throughout the series, of course, we've talked about Ron episodes ending with him being embarrassed. Henry's had plenty of those falling in the pool and all this kind of stuff. So this this is the first of a rare moment where the the episode ends with something happening embarrassing to Casey. Not that Henry was trying to embarrass her, it's just her reaction and not wanting to deal with the reality of, of what happened and what Henry experienced. So she flees. She takes off. You know, remember, she she's love you for fun. That's what the life tree said. And so this is too real. This is too serious. So she flees, which leads to season two, episode six, that being the not on your wife opening night. And of course, remember, this is the farce episode. So what happens throughout is farce. But what isn't farce in and of itself is what happens between Casey and Henry. And this is uh, where they get back together. Now, not officially, but all of us can see that's what's happened. Um, and the reason it happens is because in the beginning, you have Casey apologize or acknowledge to Henry that um, that she hurt him. And that's it. That's all Henry needed because Henry loves Casey. We all know that. It's completely obvious. And so when she, she acknowledges that she hurt him, we're off and running. And... You know, they make out in this episode and, and we can all see the wheels turning. But that's really not all that happens with Casey. This is an interesting episode in terms of learning about Casey's efforts to succeed because we learn that she has been flirting with a producer to Warner Brothers, I believe it is. Of course, you know, this is fictional. But so Casey flirts heavily, heavily, heavily with this woman in the hopes that she will be cast. In the end, of course, doesn't work out. It turns out that um, this woman is with a different actor and it's the director's wife. And again, farce moments happen. But uh, there's another where, you know, Casey kind of being uh, left out, uh, so to say, kind of embarrassing moment and it's somewhat. But um, in, in classic Casey fashion, Henry gets put in these terrible spots because Lydia's misinterpreted what's happened and she's and when uh, Henry needs Casey to clear up what's happened, she leaves him hanging to continue her attempts to flirt with the producer. And of course that doesn't work out. So uh, and then in the end, as a throwback to season one, episode seven, she ends up revealing what happened. She being Casey ends up revealing to Ron and Lydia uh, because she mistakenly thinks that Henry has admitted it, which he never did. So, ho-ho, farce, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, I do love that episode, and they're off and running again. So we get to season two, episode seven. Here we are. We're coming down the home stretch. Everybody hang in there. Um, this is it, the Party Down Company picnic. And in this, we learn that Casey is pretty athletic and highly, highly competitive. She gets the first place trophy um, at the uh, party down p company picnic, but there's also the competition with Uda. Now, in, in that, she tells Henry there's two choices either that nothing happens again between Henry and Casey, uh, meaning Henry stays with Uda, or Henry breaks up with Uda. And so, this fork in the road comes. Uh, great moment of disconnect in that Henry talks to Casey after being offered a job. Uh, or a promotion by Uda so that they could be closer. Henry says explicitly to her, you know, what do I do? Something stable 
or do I roll the dice? And of course, roll the dice means go with Casey. And she, she seems genuinely shocked that he would refer to her that way. But to the rest of it, it's obvious, knowing what happened previously, knowing what happened in season one, episode nine, when she says stay, and then season one, episode 10, when she breaks up with him. So uh, again, there's that disconnect that she would seem surprised that she is the dice. But in Henry's mind, of course, she is at that point in the series, right? In the end, of course, Henry leaves Uda to go with Casey. We knew that would happen. It seems like the right decision because they do seem meant for each other, don't they? Leading to season two, episode eight, which is Joel Munt's Big Deal Party. In this episode, Casey serves in many ways as a foil in that Henry is foolishly trying to pick a lock. Kyle's trying to pick a lock. The rest of the crew sans uh, Lydia is getting revenge on Joel Munt by trying to urinate in his, in his champagne glass. Lydia is high on cocaine. All these things are happening, but Casey is not. And Casey's sort of the, the sane person in this episode. Although, you know, this is the first episode where Henry and Casey are officially back. And uh, there's this comment on the nature of their relationship being that um, Casey's referred to as the man... You know, she is the, the the more stereotypically assertive and all that kind of, and she is. Of course, they're saying that jokingly, but you do, they do acknowledge kind of the dynamics of their relationship. She's the assertive person, and Henry is is more passive. That's how it is. That's how that's that's their dynamic. Um, but yes, yeah, she serves as the foil in this episode. She is the voice of reason, while madness is happening all around her, and she does it very well. It's very funny, particularly what happens with. Uh, Ron breaking the windows of the of Joel Munt and, and, every, and all of that. So that leads us to the penultimate episode, season two, episode nine, Cole Landry's draft day party. And this is sort of a throwback to the first season because jealous Henry has returned and Casey is back to kind of provoking Henry or punishing Henry for his jealousy. We learned that Casey is not taking Henry to the movie premiere. She's taking her mother out of spite. This is when we learn that she doesn't get along with her mother and her mother hasn't supported her comedy career. And so this is her chance to throw it in her face. And then we learn that she has not taken, she being Casey has not taken Henry to her comedy shows. And why is that? Well, he gets jealous. And then we learn about her, her performance involves being an animatronic love doll and all these things. And so, again, raising the question, is Casey actually funny? You know, would you laugh if you went to her routine? I don't know. I don't know. And we'll never know. We're, we, we'll just have to keep wondering. Or will we? Who knows? I don't know. If there are new episodes, I'd assume it'd be the same format. At, but I don't know. And um, this is an episode where Casey gets to take a turn being embarrassed. Because in this one out of spite, it appears, to Henry, because Henry has had this conversation with, um, as we learned, Cole Landry's boyfriend, and had, you know, revealed some personal information about their, their relationship. Of course, she's guarded. Remember, keep going back to that theme. She's guarded. So she's not expressing herself to outsiders. Only the audience and Henry, and even then, not all that much. And so, she, to, out of spite, she's sort of getting back at Henry by agreeing to play the role of Cole Landry's girlfriend. She does that, gets her hair done up, puts on an outfit, and in the end, 
things happen and she gets embarrassed on national TV. So she gets to take a turn being the Ron and getting, uh, you know, hit in the back, hit in the groin kind of situation. She gets to take a turn falling in the pool, as it were. And that's how the uh, episode ends, which leads us to the very last episode of Party Down to Date, which is Constance Carmel's wedding. And in this episode, poor Casey, Crash, we learn that she will not be appearing in the Judd Apatow film. Her part has been cut. Now, she spends the beginning of the episode trying to protect Constance from being exploited or hurt by uh, the man she's marrying, who's been divorced a number of times, cheated on all his previous spouses. Um, and there's a great dialogue between Casey and Constance about, you know, love and you know being the same kind of crazy. That's what love is. And we see her have that that moment with Henry, which is, you know, she's she's thinking about quitting. She's inconsolable because she's lost out on the part that she put all she banked all of her hopes and dreams on. And Henry says, you can't quit. And she says, well, you quit. So who are you to tell me? You know, we're not the same kind of crazy, which leads to the excellent, outstanding superlative superior uh last moment of the show which is of course we talked about last week henry has become um, interested in this script which you know casey sees him reading and and that's she likes that you know she enjoys this henry who's interested in acting henry who's focused and driven to try to act and so the show ends with that great moment she's she's still upset she's still mad um, she's still devastated, walks into the bar mitzvah, asks where Henry is, realizes that Henry is not there because he's gone to the audition. And you have that great zoom in moment, that expression of complete devastation to just that hint of a smile, knowing that Henry's trying again and knowing that he's doing it for her, at least in part, right? He's doing it for her. And so are they the same kind of crazy? Is it true love? I don't know, the show ends. <laughs> so there we go. And so coming full circle, the series ends, at least for now. Well, think about this. The show begins with Casey on the phone with her soon-to-be ex-husband, who is not supportive, uh, who is downplaying her, her dreams and aspirations. But how does the show end? Well, she still hasn't got her big break, right? She, she had it, and then it was taken away. But that last image of despair to having that faintest smile and hope being there and it's because she's not alone you know henry has gone and uh, done the audition or he's doing the audition and it's at least in part uh, to show solidarity to her uh, but it means something to have somebody uh, with you and again it's not to say that she's dependent on anybody because she's not uh, she's still strong, smart, independent, all those things. So what are some of the lessons we learned? Well, you know, um, go for it. Follow your dreams. Be confident. But I think we learned that you it, it, you really do need someone, right? You can't do it all alone. And so um, if you have the right person, it's okay to express some vulnerability, right? Because when Casey doesn't, she gets stuck on an island. And that's no place to be because... You know, we see in the beginning of the second season, she gets her big break, but she's not happy that, you know, the very next week in season two, episode three. And part of it, I 
I infer is that, you know, the, there's not somebody there to really appreciate it with her parent. Her family's not supportive. The guy she was in the relationship with that didn't work out. So get your big break. You want to be with the people you care about. And of course that is the thing with Henry. He does support her, uh, her dreams. So, you know, to show some vulnerability to people you care about. So if you're guarded all the time, it, you can get stuck on an Island. So don't go it alone if you don't have to, if you find someone you care about, you know? Yeah, that takeaway, that uh, go for it, follow your dreams. Uh, but it's hard to go it alone, and it's better if you can go, you know, if you can go for it with someone that you care about and someone that supports you. But in order to do that, you're going to have to show some vulnerability. You're going to have to take some emotional chances, as well as these career chances and putting yourself out there for your career if you want those quality relationships you have to take some emotional chances so i think that's one of the big takeaways from the brilliant uh casey klein oh also i think an important lesson is don't put your eggs in one basket right she put all her hopes and dreams in the one role and of course that fell apart but we got to respect and, and appreciate and admire Casey's strength, her drive, her perseverance. Keep keep trying. Keep going for it. Um, FYI, the last appearance we see of her is in the show Children's Hospital. I don't know if you would consider that canon. I doubt it. Um, but the phone is back and Henry's not there. So do we speculate that means Henry got the role in Velour and then has gone on to continue to act but Casey is, is stuck? I don't know. It could just mean that Adam Scott wasn't available. And again, I don't think it's canon, but I wonder if, right? Here's our speculation: Is she the she? Is she the team leader? If there are new episodes, wouldn't that be interesting? Or, or could her character ever be the team leader? As little as she cares about party down, I don't know. It'd be interesting though. It'd be an interesting dynamic. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, party down. Thank you, show creators. Thank you, uh, writers. Thank you, actors. I hope you enjoyed me rambling for an hour and 20 minutes to talk about Casey Klein. As always, feel free to contact the show. Email do not crack up podcast at gmail.com or you could do don't crack up podcast at gmail.com. No apostrophe. Twitter at a commuters pod. No apostrophe again. A commuters pod. Don't crack up, folks. We're going to come back again next episode, bi-weekly. Something I'm listening to, something I'm watching. Next episode, I hope to have another check-in with John. Let's see what he's been up to over the last month or so. And more Party Down. Next time, we're going to talk about Ryan Hansen as Kyle Bradway. Can't wait for that. Thank you all. Drive safe. Goodbye. Don't crack up. Don't crack up.